Our text today is from the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verse 17 to 20. The the fulfillment of the law. Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth will disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Shall we pray? Father, we've just opportunity to read words, words spoken by Jesus. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit, place your Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we may hear, so that we may hear you speak and so that we may listen and be changed and love you with all our hearts. We pray pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are people who are supposed to be entirely above reproach. And, And these people include our leaders, even premiers, prime ministers, presidents, Sadly, we are not confident that these leaders really are above reproach. And yet, we should have this expectation, shouldn't we? We should have this expectation of all leaders. We should have this expectation of our teachers whose lives are supposed to be above reproach. You know, their professional standards don't allow any inappropriate conduct with students, both during working hours and during off hours. And and so we expect all our professionals to to live according to their professional standards. And that goes for lawyers, accountants, bankers. It would be quite something if a banker took your money and used it to buy stuff for him or herself, wouldn't it? Doctors. These people are supposed to be above reproach. Yet I wonder if we have that expectation still of these people. And I wonder if we have that expectation of regular people in our lives. Are are members of this church expected to be above reproach? 
are our elders, our deacons, our ministers expected to be above reproach? Are our vacation Bible schools teachers and leaders expected to be above reproach? I suspect we don't really hold those expectations any longer, do we? After all, our exposure to the doctrine of total depravity has led us to have low expectations of people. All have sinned, we like to say. All have gone astray. Now, I don't think we longer have a long list of people whom we think of as entirely above reproach. But I don't think that was always that way. See, in the time of Jesus, there were some people who were considered completely above reproach. You know, the way that uh, uh, our our teacher here talked about the Pharisees is the way we think of Pharisees as people who might be considered hypocrites. But I, I think a lot of people in those days thought of the Pharisees as those people who were living their lives above reproach. They followed every law. They, they, they completely fulfilled the letter of the law. In, in, in fact, it went far beyond the written law that we have. And uh, they had an oral tradition that made sure that you didn't stray from the law at any point. They, they, these were people that when you saw them walking around, you would say, Ah, there goes a righteous person. There is someone who does good in every circumstance. And then along comes Jesus. And he acts differently than all the teachers, all the other teachers. You just compare him to the other rabbis. See, the rabbis are, were the teachers, and, 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 and they chose the best of the best of the best to be their disciples. Jesus didn't seem to do that. Now, Jesus chooses ordinary fishermen who had never, ever even considered to be disciples by the other teachers. And then look at how Jesus goes around. He mixes with all sorts of people. He goes among the sick and he actually touches them. He even goes among those people whom we know are demon-possessed. And then look at how he treats the Sabbath. His disciples, they pick grain and they eat the grain that they harvested on the Sabbath. And then he has these strange sayings that seem to indicate that he has a low regard, a disregard for the law. He says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know. I think this Jesus, he, he must be soft on the law. And, and if we think that Jesus might be soft on the law, well, then his disciples and his church are far softer on the law, yet it appears that they let almost anything go. We see that in the way that they deal with their, the new Gentile believers. They have such low expectations of these Gentile believers. That's us. 
Listen to what the early church said in one of its first official letters. Uh, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond just these following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and, oh yeah, also maybe from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. It's like saying, if you only keep this small portion of the law, then anything else goes. You see, this church, it must be soft on the law. This church is soft on sin. And we hear that in other circumstances too. And if that's true for the early church, then, then we should consider perhaps the modern church. Anything seems to go. Maybe the church has gone soft. And in the midst of all of this, Matthew brings these words from Jesus that show that Jesus in the church that follows Jesus has not gone soft on sin. He says, and this is Jesus' words, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, or as the King James Version puts it, not one jot, not one tittle, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished or fulfilled. And anyone who breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and preaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And, and you know, that last part there is something that has made its way into our broader culture. Practice what you preach. It speaks of someone who has great integrity. It speaks of someone who not only says what is good, but actually does what is good himself or herself as well. And we wonder, what happened to this Jesus who seemed to disregard the law? All of a sudden, this Jesus has become a stickler for the law? And then Jesus says something that was shockingly revolutionary in his context. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and those teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. That can't be, can it? If that's the case, then no one could possibly enter the kingdom of God, could they? Unless our righteousness 
surpasses that of the most righteous people we know, then we cannot enter the kingdom of God. How could this possibly be? Is Jesus teaching some new doctrine? Is it time for all of us to despair? We can't possibly live up to this standard, can we? To answer that, we need to leave the time of Jesus. The time in which the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were considered the exemplars of righteousness and go back to a much earlier time in Israel's life. We go back to the time of Moses before God's people had entered that promised land. We go back to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 30. And here we read of choices between life and death, between prosperity and destruction, between blessings and curses. And that's a major point of this portion of Deuteronomy. God's people have a choice when they go into the new land between following the path of life and following the path of death. God's people had a choice between blessings and curses before they entered the promised land. They had a choice between life and death once they entered the promised land. And they had a choice between prosperity and destruction even when they went into exile. And they had a choice between the paths of life and the paths of death after they returned to the promised land. And people today also have a choice. Choose life or choose death. But but there's more to this choice between life and death in this chapter of Deuteronomy than the choice between Pharisees and tax collectors. There's more to this choice than legalistically following all sorts of written and unwritten rules or being a sinner. Now, throughout this chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, we hear some interesting words. When you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey, which means listen to Him, with your heart and with your soul. We see it in verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart with all your soul and live all of a sudden we see some of the roots of of, of what Paul is thinking when he gets so mad at people who would physically circumcise the bodies of Gentiles but forget about circumcising the heart and we see something else In addition to the circumcision of the heart, we see the word love. That you may love him. That you may love God. And not just love God, but that we could love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with our entire being. See, God's law is not fulfilled by following all the rules of the law, 
but it begins to be fulfilled when we are changed in our hearts, in the depths of our being. See, the law of God begins to be fulfilled when we love Him with all our hearts and soul, and then we begin to live. This is an area in which those ordinary people listening to Jesus listening to Jesus speak can begin to surpass the righteousness of those Pharisees, those, those so, so seemingly righteous people. See, Deuteronomy 30 uses these same words one more time in verse 10. And, and the same words occur a multitude of times in Deuteronomy. If you obey, if you listen to the Lord your God and keep his commandments and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. See, God wants us to be in a relationship with him. With all our being, starting at our core, the heart. And even more important, when you read those words in Deuteronomy, you read that God himself is involved in the changing of our heart when it says that God will circumcise your hearts. And if you continue to page through that Old Testament, we find that loving God with all our heart, all our soul, is the root of our relationship to our Creator, to our Redeemer. We see it in Psalm 119, a teaching psalm on the law. And, and of course, we have to be careful with how we use the word law, because when we think about the word law, we tend to think about rules and regulations like the criminal code of Canada. But, but to an ancient Israelite or a Jew in the days of Jesus, the law is the word of God. It's the Bible. It's the, the words that God has spoken. It's the teaching of God to his people. And, and, and so Psalm 119 will say with these familiar words, your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. His decrees and commandments are part of this, lar this larger word, the law. And Psalm 119 also remains deeply tied in thinking of our relationship with God and his word. When it says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. One commentator remarked that blessedness is closely linked to contentment. Someone who is blessed is someone who is content. And this contentment is found in walking according to the Lord's teaching and in seeking Him with all our hearts. Verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. Verse 9 and 10. 
they continue. How can a young man, or for that matter, a young woman, keep his ways pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, true righteousness begins with our heart and then follows in our actions. And yes, your righteousness is able to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law if your righteousness begins with a heart set on God. In my opinion, the church should not begin with speaking of outer forms of obedience to the law. But rather, the church should begin with an inner conversion of the heart. See, it's one of those issues that I have with what happened at Synod this summer. The outer obedience of the law does not change the heart. The heart changes us to an outer obedience. The outer obedience comes through seeking God's will with all our hearts, praying that God does not let us stray from His commands. Change the heart. The rest will follow. If your heart is focused on the Lord, on loving the Lord, the rest will fall into place. And there are disagreements in the church about which behaviors are sinful and where you should draw lines. I would encourage people to turn their hearts towards God and to seek to discover His will in His Word. And not first of all for other people, but first of all for ourselves. Ask yourself, what did this word that was spoken mean to the people who first received it? And then ask, well then, how does this word then apply to me? And then, and only then, ask, well, how does this word apply to someone else? But back to Jesus. What, what, what does he mean when he says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom? Well, Reformed churches here have long taught the doctrine of depravity. No one is without sin. Thus, no one is righteous. Hence, the only way that we can surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees is to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that we may enter the kingdom. We need Jesus to be a substitute in order for us to be atoned. And, and, and we would surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees by accepting in faith Christ Righteousness as our own. That's kind of weird, isn't it? 
accepting Christ's righteousness as their own. That's like imagining that the way Jesus lived is the way I have lived. And accepting that in faith. And that is indeed one way that we will surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. And when we accept this faith with all our hearts, then we will also start living this way in our lives again, surpassing the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, after I preached this in another church, one of the elders commented that he'd like to hear more about the Holy Spirit. And immediately, my heart got excited. Although I hadn't yet mentioned, I had mentioned the Holy Spirit in the final paragraph, I, I hadn't made things clear. He said that, that a lot of sermons place a burden on people to do better. But he said, isn't it the Holy Spirit? Isn't it God who changes hearts? But unless the Holy Spirit changes us, then, then we hear the words of the Bible or the words of Jesus and we are left unchanged. But, but when the Holy Spirit works in us, we hear these words and we are inspired. We become convinced that God loves us and then we in turn begin to love God. It's not a matter of us doing more. No, when the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, then we become people of unsurpassed righteousness who love God with all our hearts, with our whole being. That's exciting. Next week, we hope to celebrate communion. Sometimes we ask questions about, well, who should be at the Lord's table? Should it be those who live in outstanding righteousness? Should it be those who have publicly proclaimed their faith Faith in God professed it. Today we say this. The Lord has prepared his table for all who love him, who trust in him alone for their salvation. In other words, those whose hearts have been changed by God's Holy Spirit, all who are truly sorry for their sins, their wrongdoings, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, who desire to live in obedience to Him, they are invited to come with gladness to the table of the Lord. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Son, Jesus, who lived a life of unsurpassed righteousness. Work in us through your Holy Spirit so that we too may accept your gift of Christ's righteousness and that so, so that we too may love you with all our hearts. May we then begin to live a life that fulfills the law beyond that of even the Pharisees and teachers of the law, beyond that of pastors and popes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.